On March 7, 2008, 27-year-old Air Force Reservist Senior Airman Blanca Luna was found with a 5-inch kitchen knife stuck in the back of her neck, with no pants, no underwear, and dried fluid near her groin, at Shepard Air Force Base in Wichita Falls, Texas. Initially labeled as a suspicious incident, Blanca's case was then referred to as a homicide until Air Force investigators began to suggest to her family that she may have committed suicide. It's been 15 years since Blanca was found, and her death remains a mystery. Let's break down the details. Secrets of the Trees presents The Unsolved Murder of Air Force Reservist Blanca Luna Blanca initially served in the United States Marine Corps from 1997 to 2002. She had been approached by Marine recruiters while still at Curie Metro High School in Chicago. Blanca's best friend and former roommate, Denise Figueroa, said that the military had long piqued Blanca's interest, stemming from seeing Army TV commercials in her youth. Blanca's mother, Gloria Barrios, was concerned about her daughter joining the military, but Blanca assured her that she wouldn't be participating in any wars. Instead, she'd get to travel and learn skills to set up her life. She was a graphic design specialist for Marine Corps publications. Upon separating from the Marines, she returned to Chicago to study graphic design at the International Academy of Design and Technology and took up a job as a security guard in a Michigan Avenue office building to help cover her educational and personal expenses. With her bills growing, Blanca faced extreme competition in the graphic design field, leading her to make the decision to enlist in the Air Force Reserve and pursue a trade. She began training with the 434th Civilian Engineering Squadron at Grissom Air Reserve Base in Indiana, and then a few months later headed to Shepard Air Force Base in Texas to learn HVAC. Blanca was scheduled to graduate on March 10th. Three days prior to what would have been a joyful day and the start of a new chapter in her life, she was found stabbed with a 5-inch kitchen knife protruding from the back of her neck. On the afternoon of March 7th, Air Force representatives, along with a Spanish-speaking Chicago police officer, showed up to Gloria's home. They handed her a letter from a general stating that Blanca's death was an apparent homicide and told her that a letter from her daughter's commander would be arriving providing additional details in about 45 days. 45 days. I can't imagine having casualty assistance officers showing up to my home randomly to give me the worst news of my life through an interpreter and being told I would be kept in the dark for an additional month and a half, especially when I had no reason to think that my loved one would be in fatal danger while in HVAC training. Don't get me wrong, I understand there's a possibility of getting hurt while going through HVAC training, but those are job-related risks like exposure to unsafe area working conditions, dangerous chemicals, and electrical hazards, not getting a 5-inch chef's knife stuck in the back of your neck kind of risk. And the detail of needing an interpreter is one I'd like for you to keep in mind while we progress to the rest of the case. Gloria does not speak English, at all. She needed the constant help of an interpreter while trying to navigate what happened to her daughter. Over the next week, Blanca's family members and friends would call the base for more information, but it was so difficult to get answers from the Air Force, the family wasn't even sure when Blanca's body would be returned to Chicago. Six days later, on March 13th, Blanca's already embalmed body arrived dressed in her uniform. Manuel Martinez, the director of the funeral home which oversaw Blanca's burial, said he noticed cuts on Blanca's fingers which appeared to look defensive in nature and a bruise on her forehead as if she had fallen down. However, in the rush to prepare for the burial the next day, he said it didn't dawn on him to check the rest of her body. Blanca was laid to rest at Woodlawn Cemetery the following day. An initial article published by the Chicago Reader, dated in July 2008, stated that at the time of the article being published, the letter from Blanca's commander still had not arrived. So, at that point, it had already been about four months without further details as to what happened to her. 
Denise, Blanca's friend, was instrumental in helping Gloria deal with the Air Force's inadequate response to Blanca's death. According to Denise, they said she had a stab wound on her back on the right side. Then they said she was stabbed in her neck on the left side. Why are there no police reports, no pictures, she questioned. Shortly after Blanca's burial, Gloria was asked by Air Force investigators if Blanca had a boyfriend, owed money to someone, or if she had been left or right-handed. Gloria's brother, Robert, asked why, and they told him that the Air Force was looking into the possibility that Blanca had committed suicide. What? Suicide? I mean, really? Were they really suggesting Blanca stripped down to no pants and no underwear and then grabbed a 5-inch knife and reached back and then plunged that into the back of her neck? And what about the dried fluid near her groin? I like to think that for the most part, I'm open to several theories when I research cases. This is not one of those times. I don't believe for a second this was a suicide. Denise challenged these claims, stating that she and Blanca spoke every day on the phone, Blanca was happy, she loved the military, loved what she was learning, and she was incredibly excited to be graduating and coming home in a few days. Denise also said that the day after Air Force investigators made their suicide suggestion, the investigators visited Denise at her apartment and made her feel like a suspect. They had even gone as far as calling her place of employment, a DHL facility near O'Hare, to find out if she had been working the night before Blanca's death and asked about any acquaintances Blanca may have had in Chicago. Okay, so the suicide suggestion was not the only outlandish thing suggested. Investigators wanted to verify with Denise's employment just what exactly. If Denise booked a flight or hopped into her car and drove 932 miles from Chicago and Illinois to Wichita Falls in Texas to do what? You still need an ID or a sponsor or, you know, a valid reason to get on base. Wouldn't there have been footage or records of an ID scan or a logbook with guest pass entries? Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Surely that's not what they meant, right? I just don't understand possible theories for why investigators called Denise's place of employment and showing up to her apartment unannounced unless it was an intimidation tactic. These odd, in-between-the-line suggestions made no sense to Denise and Gloria because they believe that the answers are in Texas, where Blanca died, not several states away in Illinois. As it turns out, Blanca was the only woman in her unit and had a leadership position. It is possible that male service members may have felt resentment towards or felt threatened by Blanca. According to Denise, Blanca did not like ordering people around, but doing so was part of her job, including telling others to do tasks such as taking out the trash and cleaning the bathrooms. In September 2008, the Air Force published an article with details as to their investigation on Blanca's death. They stated that she was found in her room at 8.50 a.m. and taken to United Regional Hospital, where she was pronounced dead at 9.35 a.m. The article further stated that OSI, shorthand for the Air Force Office of Special Investigations, and the FBI were conducting a joint investigation. At the request of OSI, the FBI stepped in to assist sending an evidence team to process the scene after Blanca was found. They also went on to say that more than 350 interviews were conducted at locations across the country. Findings were reviewed by a diverse team of experts, including specialists in forensics, polygraph, computer investigation, behavioral psychology, and forensic pathology. More than 350 interviews, wow, and at locations across the country. So across the country makes sense if her fellow service members were on their way out of the base, whether through PCSing or separating, or any one of the reasons why a service member would move on from the base. If you don't know, PCS means permanent change of station and is when a service member executes orders to another base or location. 
350 interviews though? Why so many, I wonder? Months passed, and the author of the original Chicago Reader article, Carrie Leiderson, followed up with the family in November 2008 in a subsequent article with, unfortunately, no positive updates. During this time, Gloria had started putting pressure on Air Force officials by contacting activists, attorneys, and political figures to aid in her search for answers. If you heard my previous episode on the death of United States Marine Corps Lance Corporal Stacey Annie Dryden, you will have heard me briefly talk about retired U.S. Army Colonel Ann Wright. Colonel Wright, who publicly resigned her State Department job in protest of the 2003 Iraq invasion, now advocates heavily for investigations into sexual assault and suspicious suicides and deaths in the military, and Blanca is one of those cases she is advocating for. In October 2008, Gloria and several others arrived at Shepard Air Force Base. Members of Gloria's support party included Colonel Wright, Gloria's sister, friends, her interpreter Magda, and Juan Torres, a Chicago native whose son mysteriously died in Afghanistan in 2004. The group was greeted by five Air Force officials. According to an article written by Colonel Wright herself, Gloria requested that her support group be allowed to join her in an Air Force-conducted bus tour of the facilities where her daughter went to school and the lodging facility where she was found dead, but the request was denied. When Gloria asked if Magda and the colonel could come, the request was denied again. Gloria expressed to the officials that she did not feel comfortable having interpreters provided by the Air Force, but as you could guess, her requests were denied. One of the officials, the Air Force Public Affairs Officer, suggested to the Deputy Wing Commander not to allow Magna nor the Colonel in, as both of them were outspoken in the media and their presence would jeopardize the integrity of the meeting with the family. It was in this moment that Magda told the affairs officer that she had been previously told in Chicago that she asked too many questions, and asked if that was truly the reason for why she was being denied base entry. Gloria also revealed that she was warned by Air Force officials not to speak to the media again, after she interviewed with the Chicago Reader a few months prior. None of the group's retorts to the officials' denials mattered. Ultimately, in the end, officials only allowed Gloria, her sister, and Juan in to tour the base. No one else was allowed base access, which is interesting because wouldn't have the colonel been allowed in as she was a retiree and had special privileges that would have allowed her base access? Touring the base is all the small group did, only allowing Gloria to look around the base hotel Blanca had been living in, but not the hotel room where she had been found. Gloria headed home with an even greater frustration and anger. Then finally, a few weeks later, copies of the autopsy report, toxicology report, and a CD of the photographs of Blanca's body arrived in the mail, along with a letter from the Office of the Armed Forces Medical Examiner. The attached cover letter explained that the photos were extremely graphic and advised Gloria to read the report and view the photos in the presence of her emotional support group. The autopsy report, dated March 8th, a day after Blanca's death, was in English. Gloria had to turn to her friends for help. As per the updated Chicago Reader article, the report stated that Blanca's body was found with a 5-inch kitchen knife sticking out from the back of her neck, blade up, half of it sunk into her neck. This 27-year-old active-duty United States Air Force female died of a single stab wound to the back of the neck that penetrated the distal brainstem. Her black jacket and two t-shirts were cut open by medical workers, and that defibrillator pads were stuck to her body. It was observed that she was wearing no pants or underwear. An area of dry, white, translucent, flaky residue is present on the left groin. There was a sanguineous fluid in her mouth, as well as a dark red area on the left side of her lips and a small abrasion on her inner lip. Her other organs and body parts were described as healthy. 
Toxicology tests were negative for alcohol and other substances except for atropine, a drug used by medical professionals to revive patients in shock, likely administered as medical staff tried to save her. The final blow in the report? The conclusion. The autopsy findings and circumstances of death alone are insufficient to discriminate between homicide and suicide, and, at the time of this report, the subsequent investigative and evidentiary information are inconclusive. Therefore, the manner of death is undetermined. One of the friends who helped her translate the medical reports emailed questions to one of the investigators who had initially contacted Gloria. This email was sent out on November 12th. The next day, a Spanish-speaking Air Force liaison called Gloria on her cell phone. Unfortunately, Gloria wasn't able to take the call immediately as she was at a doctor's appointment. She returned the liaison's call several times, leaving various messages, and her call was finally returned on November 17th. Gloria asked him why Blanca wasn't wearing any pants, and he told her they took them off for the examination, which she did not believe. The liaison also told her no fingerprints were found on the knife. As to the dried fluid near Blanca's groin, he said he would give back to her with more information. I have found no article detailing if this fluid was identified. The medical reports notated that evidence, including a vaginal swab and fingernail clippings, were collected and turned over to OSI. Gloria has apparently met with an attorney to discuss her options. She stated she is only seeking answers for Blanca's death, to have it classified as a homicide, and to find out who the perpetrator is. She does not care about any kind of financial compensation. Now let's talk about theories and really quick, let's also talk about location. According to Military One Source, over 20,000 permanent party, airmen in training, and support personnel are on Shepard Air Force Base during a normal duty day. I was not able to find how many personnel were stationed or aboard the base during a normal day in previous years. Shepard is also home to the Air Force's largest technical training wing and the world's only internationally manned and managed flying training program, ENJJPT, shorthand for Euronado Joint Jet Pilot Training Program. The Shepard fact sheet goes on to say that while the wing commander, vice commander, and operations group commander in the top three leadership positions are always from the Air Force, officers from all 14 participating nations fill subordinate leadership positions throughout the wing. Five nations, Germany, Italy, the Netherlands, Norway, and the United States, provide instructor pilots based on their number of student pilots. Canada, Greece, Portugal, Spain, and Turkey do not have student pilots in training, but do provide one instructor pilot. As an example of this totally integrated structure, an American student pilot may have a Belgian instructor pilot, a Dutch flight commander, a Turkish section commander, an Italian operations office, and a German squadron commander. Why am I explaining this? Well, given that this base hosts individuals from foreign nations, wouldn't it make sense to have beefed up security? If other nations are trusting us with their service members, shouldn't there in general be an extra level of security? This large number of personnel could also explain why there were more than 350 interviews conducted. Was there really no hotel footage from that day, as Denise had asked? Also, who found Blanca? Was her door open, closed? Was it housekeeping, etc.? To this day, it has not been publicly confirmed if any DNA collected at the scene was run through CODIS. I've read speculation that it was a male service member who murdered her. Was it someone who was able to move about freely without the fear of getting caught since they belonged in or knew the area anyways? I also read one comment in particular that she possibly rejected someone's advances and they didn't like that so they killed her. You may have heard of the theories behind knife attacks, in particular that the psychology behind stabbings is different than other methods of murders, such as shootings for example. 
According to Naftali Beryl, a forensic psychologist in New York City, anytime somebody commits a murder or assault, either by choking, stabbing, or making bodily contact, it always speaks to a level of rage and perhaps a personal connection to the victim that shooting with a gun does not. She went on to say that when you're stabbing someone, it's close and in your face. The experience is more visceral and more graphic, more provocative. It speaks emotionality, whether rage or paranoia. This would give weight to the thought that she was stabbed by someone who was enraged, possibly by a rejection, or who felt threatened by her. In 2013, now several years after Blanca's murder, Gloria was hospitalized while battling depression. Blanca's murder is under investigation by the Air Force Office of Special Investigations and the Shepard Air Force Base Security Forces Squadron. Anyone with information regarding the case should call Shepard Air Force Base Security Forces at 940-676-2981 or Shepard OSI at 940-676-1852.